Hi there, I am Abby and I am part of the team here at St Paul's Shadwell. Today we're starting a new series called Harbour of Hope and we're going to be diving into the book of James. So I'm going to kick us off now by reading James chapter 1 verses 1 to 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes of the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. It flowers, falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he'll be brought forth by the word of truth, that we shall be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So the book of James that we're going to be looking at for the next eight weeks is all about drilling into and confronting our character, who we are or who we could or should be and what we need to do to get there. I've heard that some gyms hire in extra equipment for January because they know they'll have a boom in attendance then And then by February, when the New Year, New Me crowd, which I fully admit to being a part of, has subsided, they can return it. Every year we hit January with anticipation of change. This book isn't a deep theological exploration of the complexities of faith. Rather, this book is all about us. Us as individuals, but also as a community of believers. And realistically, that is not always a comfortable thing to read. It's like stepping on the scales on January 1st or actually sitting down and reading your bank statements, or looking at your screen time reports. When we read the Old Testament, it's all about the ups and downs of others, and we learn from the failings that came before us. But over the next few weeks, if my prepping for this talk is anything to go by, I imagine we'll find these verses to be much more introspective. We're calling this sermon series Harbour of Hope, and it's all about how, how us, us as a community of believers, We have a hope that each day we are closer to being the people and the community that we are called to be. So to start with, James addresses his letter to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. 
Now, the Bible may be two testaments and 66 books and countless stories, but ultimately it is one long plot, one long history of God and his people. When I grew up learning Bible stories, it all seemed so random, and I never learned the connections between them. For all I knew, Moses and Jesus could have been neighbours. But part of the joy and excitement of reading and studying the word is when you come across bits like this. When the timeline comes together and you start to realise how the whole thing relates. By addressing this letter to the 12 tribes, we are immediately transported back a millennia to the stories of the Jewish people, the Israelites, this one family that we read of in the very beginning of our Bibles. Jacob and his 12 sons, who formed the 12 tribes of Israel, who were ultimately scattered throughout the world. Now, if you were to write a letter today to a group of people and you handed it to the postman and said, this is for the dispersed people, or this is for those who are scattered, it is unlikely that letter will ever make it to any specific hands, unlike other letters we have titled to the church in Ephesians or to, to Philemon, our dear friend. By starting his letter in this way, he may not be singling out a place or a person, but I think he's encouraging followers reading it that whoever they are and wherever they are, they are reminded they are part of a tribe. They are part of this one family. And even today as we read this, I want to remind us that the same applies to us. We are part of this one family. Wherever we are, whoever we are, this scattered community of believers still exists and has flourished over thousands of years to where we are now. Today, we are reminded that we are connected to people in every corner of this world, as well as being part of this church, this harbour, this harbour of hope here. And James starts off by giving us an instruction, he tells us to be joyful, which is great. As fruits of the spirit goes, joy is the one I find that I enjoy the most. He says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Now that's harder to read, isn't it? Be joyful. Be joyful when you're facing trials. Be joyful when you're tested. I have been robbed three times in my life. And I want to be honest and say that joy was not my first reaction in any of those instances. The wheel of my car was stolen three weeks into university. I had my phone stolen in Romania. And my bag was stolen from the changing rooms at my old workplace. Now, as someone who prides myself on my independence, the irony is not lost on me that the three things I've had taken are the three things I rely on most. Now, I was not counting it as joy in any of those moments. And I think that that's okay. Because we are human, and in Ephesians 4.26 we read, Be angry, but do not allow your anger to cause you to sin. He is not saying that we need to find joy in the trial, but that we can have hope, that we can be assured that we will be able to find joy in what is produced. This instruction is not just for you, but for us. And we are thankful that when we go through trials, when we are tested, that we have a community of believers around us to offer support and encouragement. Now, when I discovered the wheel of my car had been stolen, I was on my way to a church that I'd only been to twice before. A member of that church gave me his number the previous week so that I could call him and come along to a small group that he was running. So being new to the area and not knowing where else to turn to, I called him. And within 20 minutes, he and another guy from the church had come to my aid. I may not have made it to the service that day, but by lunchtime, I was at the pub, surrounded by them and others, laughing about what a crazy morning it had been. 
When I struggled, they helped me to find joy in my trials. And I stayed at that church for three years. I hope that since then, I've been able to do the same for others. I have not felt joy when I've been robbed. But I look back on those times thankful that God has given me a life worth stealing from. And I know that because all that God has given me, I'm able to persevere. Whatever I have lost, I know that I lack nothing. He goes on to say, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. I became a Christian through an amazing community of brethren Christians. They're often seen as being quite a close-knit group and kind of semi-exclusive. As a teenager exploring faith, I met other teenage Christians, and I was blown away by them. I'd never met people my age who actually believed it before, even when their parents weren't around. This was amazing to me, and it was through them that I found faith. But one day I remember telling my mum about these friends of mine, and she said, well, it must be really easy for them to be Christians. Their parents are Christians, their siblings are Christians, they're all homeschooled together in one big group with other people from their church, so all their friends are Christians. They don't have any outside influence. Of course, they are all Christians. My mum is somewhat of the cynic. <laughs> one day, as we sat and did a Bible study together, I wrote down a whole page of questions i had heard about the story that they've been talking about. And my friend said to me, those questions would have never occurred to me. I was taught to believe, not to question. Their faith seemed so strong to me, and it was their faith that led me to develop mine. But in reality, when some of them started attending mainstream school, many of them fell away. And when they grew up and started working, many of them fell away. They had so much faith, and such a beautiful and attractive faith, that it's where I found mine. But their faith had never been tested, and so it could not withstand the world, and many of them fell away. I have not felt joyful in the times that my faith has been tested, but I look back on those times thankful that I am closer to God for it. Now, I am not saying that you need to go out from your Christian communities immediately and put your faith on trial, but it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to say this part of the Bible makes no sense to me, or I just don't understand what God was doing here. We are not always expected to understand. God invites us to faithfully ask him for wisdom when we are struggling, and he will give generously. In humility, we come together as a community with questions and answers, knowing that the ultimate goal is that we'll be closer to God and one another for it. Knowing that when we face trials, we can be expectant of joy and a deeper intimacy. We have this hope that we can hold on through any storm. Last week, the kids here learnt the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. If you don't know it, the story goes that Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, and the devil appears to him and tempts him three times. He taunts Jesus, claiming that he doesn't have enough, he isn't cared for enough, and he isn't important enough. To teach this to the kids, they were asked to imagine they were going on a camping trip together for a week. There would be no adults going with them. The forecast says it's going to rain all week, and there have been reports of dangerous rabbits in the area. The kids could choose 10 items for a list to take with them. Once they had decided on 10, it was narrowed down to five. Once they decided on five, it was narrowed down to one, until they really thought and argued and debated about what they really, really needed. And then they were given a choice. They could either have the 10 original items 
they chose at the beginning, or they could choose to bring along their mum or their dad. In this life, we can painstakingly try and prepare ourselves for every eventuality and go round and round in circles deliberating on what it is that we need to do or we have to do or we have to bring, we have to have. As a church, as a community of believers, we can argue and debate about what each one of us are bringing and how we think that we can survive and maybe even thrive. But when given the choice, would we give up all of that and instead ask only for one thing, for Jesus to come along with us in whatever we do? The children were given the choice to have 10 things to look, up, 10 things to look after themselves or to bring the person they trust the most in the world the person they trust to provide for them, to protect them and to love them. Handily for my illustration, they all said they'd choose their parents. They would choose the person over the provisions. In the next few weeks, we're going to be thinking about being a community of people who live life alongside and according to Jesus. How inviting Jesus in makes a difference, not just to how each of us live independently, but how that affects our whole community from being joyful in trials to minding our words, finding our wisdom, learning how to submit, being conscious of how we spend our money and being patient in prayer. We're going to be spending time leaning into these things and learning how we're called to be a new community, a harbour of hope that is different and set apart from the world. January has been and gone and perhaps our New Year's resolutions have already gone out the window. In less than a month, Lent will start on March the 1st, and we will again be in a season of making vows. So for the month of February, I would love to challenge you to lean into this joy. When we're facing trials, look for joy. When you see others facing trials, create joy. So Jesus, today we invite you to come along with us. Because even when it feels like we may not have much, we can be joyful in knowing that we have everything we need in you. Amen.